Welcome back to the 30th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be going through some stories about how we're going to tamp down on inflation, maybe at the risk of the job market, how Mehmet Oz has refused to talk about raising the minimum wage in his current battle with John Fetterman, and our last article comes from Alternet talking about how the U.S. chip ban that was meant to hurt China may actually hurt the U.S. more. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into our daily debate. So, as always, I'll pose a question to you. Is it time to raise the minimum wage? I mean, some economists have argued the wage increases are a factor in this rising inflation cycle, while others argue that wages are actually trailing it. They're trying to catch up with the rising inflation. But no matter which is true, the cost of living is up across the board, and that raises the question, is it time for the government to step in, or should we let the market do its thing? And whatever you have, opinion-wise, throw it down in the comments. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Maybe I'll respond to one or two. The Wall Street Journal is our first article. The headline reads, The Fed's Problem with the Job Market. So, recently there has been a large amount of discussion over whether the unemployment rate and wage growth has been contributing to current inflation. And what it really comes down to at the end of the day is, are the people that are working getting higher wages? And therefore, when they're getting these higher wages, they have more money to spend, and that injects more money into the economy. And prices of goods go up, because now that people are getting more money at their jobs, they can afford to spend a little bit more at the grocery store. And then those companies, they say, oh, more people are buying our products. They're willing to pay our higher prices even during this inflationary time. Well, I guess we can make the packaging a little smaller and charge the same. Or we could you know, just charge a little bit more. These companies are constantly asking themselves, how can we get more money out of the customer? And like I said, when the wages go up and they have more money to spend, it makes it that much easier to justify raising prices. So that's why a lot of people think that this could be a contributing factor to the current inflationary cycle that we're in. But it's not that simple. And a lot of economists are divided on this one because when looking at some of the past data, Wage increases are not going up higher than inflation. Uh, they're going up at about the same rate, if not a little bit lower. And that's why I mentioned in the daily debate that some economists believe that it's actually trailing inflation. Much of the debate, quote, over how far the Fed should ultimately raise rates hinges on the degree to which the tight labor market is feeding into inflation. There is no question that the job market is tight. Economists polled by the Wall Street Journal last Friday think job reports will show the unemployment rate was 3.6% in October, slightly above September's 3.5%, but still extremely low. Moreover, they think that the average hourly earnings will be up by 0.3% in October 
from September, which implies a gain of 4.7% from a year earlier, end quote. But the unemployment rate was about the same in January of 2020, and that's before the pandemic, by the way. So wages were outpacing inflation by about 1%. So that kind of is a, a not a nail in the coffin, but it is a counter-argument to some of these people saying that wages are trailing. But there is, once again, a little bit more to the story here. Quote, one difference might be that despite the similar-looking unemployment rates, the job market is effectively much tighter now. The number of unfilled job openings has lately started to fall a bit, but it is still far higher than before the pandemic. The share of workers quitting, which some people view as a better measure of labor market tightness, is also higher than before the pandemic. End quote. So we should probably back up and highlight what it means when economists and, you know, we've heard this talking point a lot right now. Oh, the job, the job market's tight. The job market's really tight right now. We should probably discuss what they mean when they say the job market is tight. So they're referring to the fact that there, there's not much wiggle room. And yeah, you could probably guess that. I mean, oh, it's tight. There's not going to be much wiggle room. But what it really, really means is employers are having a hard time keeping their employees and locking them down. And this is because there are so many new job opportunities. As the economy after the pandemic is reopening, there are so many more jobs than there were before. There are so many new companies opening up because there's now a hole in the market where certain old companies fell through during the pandemic, where small businesses kind of fell off and weren't able to survive the pandemic. There are people filling those positions, meaning there are more jobs now. So employees have a lot of leverage. They have the ability to say, uh, no, 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 you're only charging me $9 per hour. No, I, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to go to Billy Bob Joe's house down the road. Billy Bob Joe's going to pay me $10. So with this kind of leverage, the employer is really forced to either pay more money or possibly have less skilled workers in there when they may need more skilled workers or they may need as many people as possible, period. So they really don't have much of an option, and they're really forced into this position that's really tight for them. So, you know, like I said, it gives employees a lot, a lot of bargaining power, and they don't even have to become part of a union. They can just have enough bargaining power by themselves because, like I said, they can go to the employer and say, hey, John, I I know I've worked for you for five years, but there's a better opportunity, and if I'm not getting paid more, I'm going to have to leave. And that's causing this tightness in the job market. And, I mean, of course it makes sense. If you are a Lowe's worker and you are trying, you know, you're on the floor day to day, you're selling uh, some sort of product to a family who's doing reconstruction, and you have a, let's say you have an associate's degree that you got from a community college, Maybe in the past, when there weren't that many job opportunities in other locations that are looking for slightly skilled workers or someone who at least attended community college or college, then you may have stayed at your Lowe's job. But now with different opportunities coming up, maybe a risk analyst position, 
gives you a little bit more flexibility. You can work from home. And this is a big movement we've been seeing. A lot of companies are transitioning to hybrid workplaces or work anywhere, work where you are is a current phrase being used in the industry. And those kind of positions are appealing to people. They can work from home. So with all these current options and with this guy who's working at Lowe's and he has an associate's degree, he sees all these opportunities. He could be sitting at home doing risk analysis, looking at different things on his computer rather than going in doing manual labor at Lowe's. You know, he's going to say, hey, either you need to pay me more or I'm going to go take this better opportunity, one that more suits the way that I want to go about working. So, of course, it makes sense that the job market's really tight right now. We're seeing a revolution in the way that the workplace is run. A lot of major companies like Dropbox, they only have 16 offices around the world, which is barely inhabited by anybody. Most of their work is done virtually. And some other offices are doing a three to four day work week, and then you can have two or one days at home. So there's a lot of flexibility in the way that we go about working nowadays. And that is also making it harder for employers to lock down employees because if they're working for a company that is saying, no, you have to be in the office every single day. And these employees are saying, well, I I don't want to be, I'm going to go work somewhere else that has a more flexible plan. You know, it leads to job tightness. Employers are willing to do a lot right now. They're willing to pay more. They're willing to adjust how they go about business in order to keep these employees from leaving. But, you know, that may not be as simple. It may not be just as straightforward as a tight job market and increasing wages. Quote, a recent Evercore ISI analysis suggests that the increase in wages is more of a lagged response to the rise in inflation than inflationary itself. Wages aren't rising because people are trying to get ahead of future inflation so much as they are trying to catch up with costs that have already risen. End quote. And I, I can't speak to the validity of this. I haven't read the entire analysis. And also, I am not a full-fledged economist. I know a little bit here or there. I can explain some small things. But at the end of the day, I, I know nothing compared to these big economists who have spent their years upon years in college getting a doctorate in economics and spend time addressing these sort of issues day to day. And if this is the case, if wages are not driving up inflation and the Fed needs, then the Fed needs to be very careful about how it proceeds. Because if in order to get inflation under control, they put in policies that are meant to raise the unemployment rate and therefore slow wage growth, then they could completely cut slash destroy the job market for something that's not going to have a great effect over inflation. So this is what the Fed is constantly dealing with. This is what the Fed is constantly battling when it's making its decisions. And you understand why they have such a hard time making unified decisions because there are so many factors at play here. And at the end of the day, if they cut the job market before they know that it is 100% a contributor to inflation then they are going to get so much political crud for it. And you'll see, maybe not riots, but you'll see lots of outrage from the working class. All right, so we'll move on from how the Fed's going to handle that situation and talk about wages again, but from a different angle. This article comes from Alternet. 
Oz's refusal to back wage hikes shows he does not care about workers, says Fetterman. So John Fetterman released a video calling out Dr. Oz for not saying whether he would back the raising of the minimum wage. Quote, during Tuesday night's televised debate between the two candidates, Oz was asked three times if he supported lifting the nation's hourly wage floor, which has remained stagnant since 2009 providing only a third of what a full-time worker needs to afford a modest one-bedroom rent home in the United States, end quote. And just so we're clear, this is from the debate last Tuesday, not November the 1st. It was the one back in October. And, you know, this is a really key issue to a lot of voters, especially in Pennsylvania. This article highlights that a lot of the people in Pennsylvania are really falling underneath that line. And, could be benefited from a minimum wage increase. And it always, it's kept coming up over the years. When we had a little bit more economic prosperity through the late years of Obama, when the market was kind of getting back under control, the early years of Trump, this conversation was kind of put to the side because natural wage growth, the employers going to their workers and saying, you know, we're making so much money, we're having so many good years in a row, and you're working really hard, and you're being diligent, we're going to increase your wages. And that was sort of a natural progression. When there's more money going around the economy, of course, you can give your workers more money. So this minimum wage conversation kind of fell by the wayside. It didn't go away completely, but it was still not addressed as much because we were having good economic times. Now that we're hitting another hard time, like 2007, 8, and 9, it's kind of coming back to the forefront, and it's really a big sticking point for a lot of people. It's a topic that many people are concerned with, but it's one that I think could really be better addressed at the local level. And when I say local level, I mean just not the federal level. So if we go to Virginia, over the last five years, I believe they've increased the minimum wage three times. I don't know about any other state because I live in Virginia and work in Virginia. So, of course, I know what Virginia is doing. But at the end of the day, our minimum wage here in Virginia is higher than the minimum wage at the federal level. And I think that's a better way to go about addressing this issue. Because on a federal level, if you address minimum wage and you say we're going to make it $15, Well, okay, that's great. For somewhere like New York, that is extremely expensive to live. That's amazing. But maybe someone in Oklahoma or Idaho, some of these more rural states where the housing prices aren't as high, maybe that $15 isn't needed as much as it is in those other states. Now, I'm not saying people wouldn't love more money, but at the end of the day, if they shock the system in those smaller rural areas and start increasing the amount of money that's being given out there, inflation is going to hit those areas harder because their prices are adjusted based on what the local population is making. In New York, you go to a store, it's probably $3 per head of lettuce. I'm not saying these are accurate prices, but just think about it in these terms. You go to New York, it's probably $3 for a head of lettuce. You go to Idaho, it could be $2.10. It could be less than that. So, The prices are very much, 
not national. These prices are addressed on a local level for the most part. Oh, it's easier to get ahead of lettuce in Idaho and people don't have as much money. I guess we have to be more competitive and lower our prices. That's what the companies are thinking. So if we make a federal minimum wage that increases the wage across the board, it's going to disproportionately affect different economies. And at the end of the day, it's going to cause inflation to grow very quickly in areas that have a lower minimum wage currently. And that's why I think it needs to be addressed on a local level. The state of Virginia knows the current state of its economy. It knows more accurately the amount of people that are having a hard time getting through some of these inflationary times. They are more in touch with the current wages, the policies that are being put in place in their own state and whether or not this minimum wage will actually help or hurt them when it comes to their economic security. And that's why I think it's something that if they are going to implement it should be done at the local level. I am personally not the biggest fan of a flat minimum wage across the board, even done at a state level. The only reason I think you should do it at a state level is because they can better address it and it won't cause rampant inflation in some areas that don't have the same high living costs as other locations. But at the end of the day, I think that if you are a valued employee, if your work is contributing to the team and you're being recognized for it, that should be enough for them to increase your wages at a job. And if they don't value you enough, then you have to recognize that and you have to leave. Now, I understand it's not that simple. A lot of people can't just leave their jobs. But now is the time to do it. Like we were talking about in the last essay, there are lots of opportunities out there for people. And if you're not getting paid what you want to get paid, and you're sitting there waiting for the Fed to raise the, not the Fed, sorry, the federal government to raise the minimum wage or your state government to do it, uh, good luck to you. But by the time they do it, you may be locked in that job you don't like. Or you could go out, try different opportunities, at least job hunt while you're at your job so you don't have to worry about not having money there for a little bit. And see what options you can get and see if you can find a place that's going to value you and where you feel like you can work hard and really contribute to the team. But, you know, that's enough ranting on my personal opinions. If you don't like them, throw them down, throw some comments down there. Well, I'll be happy to discuss this one more. It's a one that I'm very uh, I have very strong opinions on. Quote, Fetterman campaign spokesperson Joe Cali Calvello said in a statement if Oz does not believe that we need a higher minimum wage, then he should move out of his 10 mansions and live on $7.25 an hour to show us how it's done, end quote. Fetterman has previously drawn attention to how Oz, whom he calls an out-of-touch millionaire, exploited a tax break intended to help struggling Pennsylvania farmers when he purchased 34 acres of rural land in Montgomery County, for $3.1 million last year. And this is a very interesting point and a, something I really want to touch on, which is politicians, they have very little experience being at the bottom of the economic totem pole. And I'm not trying to claim that I have either. I've been very fortunate, very, very fortunate throughout my life. I am not trying to claim that I understand what it's like to have to be living on the minimum wage. I've been paid minimum wage before, but I was fortunate enough that, you know, that went into savings and I could put it away and invest it rather than having to pay bills with it. So I can't speak to whether or not 
725 is enough per hour. It doesn't sound like it, especially in the area where I am right now with prices as they are. I don't see it as a, a living wage, if you want to use that terminology. But my point is that these politicians are out of touch. They have not experienced what it's like to live on that sort of money. And I honestly don't know if Fetterman has either. I've heard speculation, not speculation. I've heard plenty of stories from right-wing media that uh, he's lived off his mom and dad's paychecks. He's been in and out of uh, financial situations that he hasn't really provided for himself. I don't know if that's true or not. But the sentiment he's giving here, or at least his campaign is giving, is that a multimillionaire versus someone who's been working with the people for a long time, one of them is obviously out of touch of as to what people really need and what people really want. And that's the angle that Fetterman's really taking here. And I, I have to agree that these politicians who are so out of touch that you know have these either big financial uh, jobs or benefits outside of Congress before Congress and then come in and get paid not necessarily the the most they're public servants but they get paid a good amount and they live in Washington their housing is subsidized for the most part they live in this bubble and they don't necessarily understand what's happening around the rest of the country or even in their state so though I, I do agree that Mr. Oz, Dr. Oz, may be a little bit out of touch, as Fetterman's saying. I can't have the same position like Fetterman. Quote, Fetterman is unequivocally a supporter of congressional legislation to increase the federal minimum wage to $15 per hour, end quote. And if you think a $15 minimum wage is going to hurt, help the current inflation in the United States... Uh, the, then we have to have a conversation because I, I don't see it happening. Even if wages are not the leading cause, like we addressed in the first article, having such a drastic jump to $15 per hour, it's going to cause the prices for commodities and goods to go up so fast. So I think for right now, we do not need a $15 minimum wage. I don't agree with Fetterman. I also don't agree with Oz. Wow, can you imagine that? Look at that. I know you come here for my really far out there political opinions on the left and the right. And, you know, I, I'm, I know that you are so utterly surprised that I just sat on the middle, sat in the middle on this one as a great podcast host or news reporter said, I am a milk toast fence sitter. All right, let's get into our last article again from Alternet. Is the U.S. chip ban on China a declaration of war in the computer age? So if you didn't pay attention, and I did a, another podcast talking about this, which was one of my favorite thumbnails, and, but, but, but that, that's besides the point. Let's, let's get in here. So Joe Biden recently banned U.S. components and chips, and any product that is concerned with U.S. chip technology from being sold to a list of Chinese companies. And this does not just include U.S. companies selling these products, but any company that uses this chip technology outside the United States can also not sell those pieces of chips, the components, anything to certain Chinese companies. And this is in order to really cripple uh, the growing semiconductor industry in China. And I think it's really interesting here that the author immediately points out the 
contrast in positions that the U.S. has been taking over the last few years. Quote, from slogans of globalization and free trade in the neoliberal 1990s, Washington has reverted to good old technology denial regime that the U.S. and its allies followed during the Cold War. While it might work in the short run in slowing down the Chinese advances, the cost to the U.S. semiconductor industry of losing China, its biggest market, will have significant consequences in the long run, end quote. And also by not selling these chips to China, we are really forcing their hand to develop their own chips and own semiconductor tech much faster. Now, many people would argue that they rely on outside imports and other countries' technologies and the chips coming in to really develop their technology because a lot of accusations of intellectual property theft and Chinese companies just ripping off the technology from the U.S. But at the end of the day, they're still going to have people developing this technology. They still have an extremely smart population who, even if they're not ripping off the most recent technology, have old chips, they can rip those off, and then from there, use them to help develop new chips. So by cutting them off and saying, oh, no, 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 we're not selling to you anymore, we're not going to give you any of those key components, we're actually forcing them to accelerate because they're already trying to up their production, they're already trying to pour millions of dollars into R&D. We're just forcing them to do it faster, and we're forcing them to rise faster, which is uh, interesting that we'll bring up here the Thucydides trap, but the U.S. is really falling into it here. In order to discourage China from rising and challenging the U.S. hegemonic power, which you could argue is no longer a hegemonic power, but in that thought process and trying to prevent it, they may actually be ensuring their downfall or at least a quote-unquote computer age war to come. So, you know, the author also highlights that this will not just hurt the U.S. and China, but also the U.S.'s allies. Quote, the problem for the United States, more so for Taiwan and South Korea, is that China is their biggest trading partner. Imposing such sanctions on equipment and chips also means destroying a good part of their market with no prospect of immediate replacement. This is not only true for China's East Asian neighbors, but also for the equipment manufacturers like the Dutch company ASML, the world's only supplier of extreme ultraviolet lithography machines. Goodness, I'm sorry about that. That produces the latest chips. For Taiwan and South Korea, China is not only the biggest export destination for their semiconductor industry, as well as other industries, but also one of their biggest suppliers for a range of products. The forcible separation of China's supply chain in the semiconductor industry is likely to be accomplished by separating in other sectors as well. End quote. And this also raises a very interesting geopolitical move that Biden definitely thought through, I mean, or at least his team thought through. There's no way they didn't, which is that when looking at Taiwan, we know that China wants to take back Taiwan, and we know that both countries have become very interdependent over the last few years when it comes to sales and purchases of the, in the semiconductor market as well as other technology markets. Taiwan is a huge producer of semiconductors and other key technologies, and they've kind of created a buffer or at least an incentive for China to not invade 
because that's where a lot of the key technology is. And if China invades, they may, well, destroy the factories, the fabs, as they're calling them, which are fabrication units where they produce these chips. They might actually destroy the fabs as the Chinese government starts to take over land in Taiwan to ensure that the Chinese do not get access to that technology. So they've created, and I believe they call it the silicone wall or the silicone dome, they've created a safety net. And now, if Taiwan can't sell their chips to China, and China is no longer gaining the benefit of letting them be autonomous, then it may not see a reason to not invade. That's one less reason for China to not invade. Then They may take the risk that those fabs will be destroyed when they're invading just for the small chance that they could get a little glimpse at the technology and reunify China. The U.S. companies are also going to be hit really hard. Companies such as Qualcomm, NVIDIA, NMD all sell to China, and that, once again, is one of their largest markets. Though it will not be recovering all of the losses, the U.S. government has invested, or says they're going to invest, $57 billion in the coming years into the chip sector in the United States. And I think this was a a double whammy, a very strategic move, or at least planned out by the Democrats. They needed or wanted to get this legislation, the CHIPS Act, passed. And then once they did, once they got it through Congress and they knew that they could guarantee this money was coming down the pipe, then Joe Biden could put in place a ban against the Chinese market so that it seemed like a nice coherent move and it didn't rattle too many cages here in the United States because, oh, look at this, all this extra money we're going to be giving you. Look at this, all this extra development money. Yay. Oh, but by the way, we're going to take away one of your largest markets. So they came in with the the one-two punch to this sector. So gave them a little bit of a benefit, you know, consoled them like, oh, of course, we'll make you happy. Don't worry. I won't hurt you. And then turned around and punched him in the face, basically. So we have one last quote here that talks about the Thucydides trap, like I was talking about earlier. So why has the United, quote, so why has the United States started a chip war against China at a time that its ability to win such a war is limited. It can, at best, postpone China's rise as a global peer military power and the world's biggest economy. An explanation lies in what some military historians call the Thucydides trap. When a rising power rivals a dominant military power, most, most such cases lead to war, end quote. So at this point, we're basically ensuring, this is the whole point of Thucydides' trap, we are ensuring that we are going to war with China. In order to keep us in power, in order to make sure that the rising power doesn't challenge us, we put in place policies like Sparta did against Athens that actually ensure that we are going to go to war with that power. You know, at the end of the day, it's a very tricky position that we're in. And we'll see how it pans out. Right now, it will probably be an economic war, maybe a cold war. I don't see a hot war happening until China decides to invade Taiwan. And even then, I don't know if the U.S. is willing to directly get involved. Remember, China is a nuclear power. And with the amount of bluffing or conversation around Putin using nukes, I think that Xi Jinping would be willing to make those same sort of threats. And we saw how our administration has responded to Putin's threats. 
So what makes you think it's going to be any different when Xi Jinping says the same thing as he's invading Taiwan? But that's enough negative stuff. Let's get into our daily delight. This one comes from India Today. Videos of elephant trying to peek <laughs> into man's phone is too cute to handle. So have you ever had a friend or a family member look over your shoulder to see what you're doing on your phone? Well, imagine a three-ton elephant doing that to you. Quote, in a clip that has gone viral online, an elephant tried to peek into the phone of, his, of a man while he was scrolling through it. Yes, you read that right, and no points in guessing that it's too cute to handle, end quote. So, I mean, I guess kids aren't the only one really interested in this whole TikTok thing. You know, I don't get it, but apparently it's really popular. <laughs> uh, quote, a man can be seen scrolling through his phone outside Tamal Nadu's Kambakum's Kumbiswar Temple. I am so sorry if I mispronounced that. His elephant was standing behind him and is trying to peek into his phone. The jumbo tries his best and can later be seen sneaking a peek. End quote. So if you want to see any of these cute videos or if you want to read any of today's articles, there will be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there is my Twitter handle at Daily Flip. Easy, convenient daily news or notifications, retweets, sassy comments, so on and so forth. All right. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.